all temples are so unique. And I think just because it's small doesn't mean that it's like insignificant or ugly or not important. I think it's like kind of almost makes it even that more special. It's just this tiny little cute little gym right in the middle of basically the woods in South Carolina. Hi, I'm Jerrica. And I'm Matt. Welcome back to another episode of Temple Tours. Our goal is to virtually take you to Latter-day Saint temples around the world. We discuss the history of each area, little-known facts, architectural symbolism, and we'll always include at least one story submitted by you, our listeners. Whether you're able to be there in person or you're just listening to this from home, we hope that you feel the spirit of the temple and learn what makes this temple unique. Today, we are also joined by Hannah, who will be sharing her story. But first, we need to tell you a little bit about this temple. This week, we are headed to the east coast of the United States to a temple that was built during the boom of 1998 to 2002. The first missionaries arrived in South Carolina in 1839. Lysander M. Davis was surprised to find people who had already been fellowshipped by Emmanuel Murphy. Murphy was baptized in Tennessee and started sharing the gospel when he relocated to South Carolina. Murphy and Davis worked together and saw the church grow in the area. However, so did the opposition. Like many other parts of the country at the time, church members were persecuted, and Davis was even jailed for a brief period. Columbia was settled in the early 1700s by Europeans. When it came to choosing a name, residents debated between Washington and Columbia after Christopher Columbus. Ultimately, Columbia won and became the capital of South Carolina in 1786. In the early 1800s, Columbia became a town, and in 1854 it was chartered as a city. It was the second city in the United States to be organized as a grid after Savannah, Georgia. However, it did not have a single paved road until 1908, nearly 40 years after paving roads began in the United States. Surprisingly, while most Latter-day Saint pioneers moved west, some stayed in South Carolina. Church membership in South Carolina grew enough during the 1800s that saints built a meeting house in Centerville, which is just over two hours from where the Columbia, South Carolina temple sits today. In 1897, mobs burned down the Centerville Chapel. The building was quickly rebuilt, but it was burned down again only two years later in 1899. Through the 1900s, members of the church experienced increasing acceptance in the area, and membership continued to grow until in 1998, a temple was announced. Until 1974, when the Washington, D.C. temple was dedicated, there was only one operating temple east of the Rocky Mountains, Cardston, Alberta which for interest's sake is located directly north of Salt Lake City just over the Canadian border. For decades, the saints out east had to travel all the way to Utah to attend the temple. For about 10 years, saints in the Midwest and the eastern United States and Canada would have attended the Washington DC temple. In the mid-1980s, the First Presidency dedicated temples in Atlanta, Georgia, Chicago, Illinois, and Dallas, Texas. However, it wasn't until the 1990s that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints really began dedicating more temples east of the Rockies. This was done quickly by building what we know as smaller temples. These special temples brought blessings of the temple closer to home for many saints around the whole world. Most of them have a similar floor plan, furnishings, and materials. In fact, sometimes the furnishings are rotated between other small temples. 
The South Carolina temple looks very similar to a lot of other temples that you can find in the United States and throughout the world. So from first glance, there's nothing necessarily like overly ornate or spectacular about it because it, it, it just does look similar to other temples. And it's really small. It's one story. It only has, of course, one baptismal font and one confirmation room, one male and female changing room, one endowment room, two ceiling rooms on either side of the endowment room, and then, of course, one celestial room. So it's very small. It services a very small amount of people at a time. Although it is small and it has a limited capacity, it services the entirety of South Carolina, the southeastern region of Georgia, the northwestern region of North Carolina, and the southeastern region of Tennessee. So it services a lot of people. And because of that, you have to make an appointment to go to the temple. Like in a lot of temples in Utah, which is really nice, you can just roll up and go do a session or go do a baptism. But here you have to schedule in advance because there's so many people from so many different regions that, you know, need to get in and got to share the love, I guess. The Columbia Temple serves members from 17 stakes across four surrounding states, Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, and of course, South Carolina. Nine stakes are located in South Carolina. Most members in the temple district have long trips to attend the temple. Some travel up to five hours to perform ordinances for their ancestors. Temple trips, like youth temple trips growing up, were actually some of my favorite things ever because we only got to go once a quarter. Um, and they, I think we typically went on either Tuesday or Wednesday nights. I think we alternated. But I lived about 45 minutes away from the temple, so it wasn't like terribly far away but it was definitely like a journey so we would all all the youth all 10 to 12 of us would come to this Kroger grocery (laughs) store parking lot and just like okay who's going with who and we'd usually have like two cars driving so some leaders in one and leaders in another and then we would all drive there together and you know go do our session and it was all a great time and then a couple probably about like 10 or 15 minutes away from the temple before you exit back onto the interstate there's a wendy's and so we would go to wendy's and get frosties and fries the leaders would buy them for us it was awesome and so now i am like conditioned to as soon as i go to the temple i'm like ooh, it's time for french fries I've had to like unteach myself that a little bit. So yeah, temple trips are always super fun. So yeah, it was definitely, it it occupied my entire afternoon and evening for a day once a quarter, but it wasn't like some people that had to travel, you know, a day to get there, which was fun for my cousins that lived in the northwestern part of North Carolina, about like two and a half hours away, three hours away from the temple. So when they would come for their youth temple trips, it would, like I said earlier, it would be like a whole day trip. So everybody would load in like their 15 passenger vans, drive all the way down to Columbia area, attend the temple, and then they would actually spend the night at the temple president's house, which is just across the street from the temple. And so literally it was like a big thing that took months of planning. And this was the case for a lot of youth activities. Um, And a lot of people had to sacrifice a lot of time and a lot of money and gas and energy to come visit this temple. So I think that's really cool that it services, you know, that many people. The Columbia, South Carolina temple was part of this huge wave of temple building. It was the third of 10 temples in a row that were dedicated east of the Rocky Mountains between September of 1999 and January 2000. Another 12 temples were built in eastern North America between 2000 and 2002. It was an era of great rejoicing for saints who were spread out all over the world. 
by 1985, there was a temple on every continent. However, the construction of these smaller temples made temple attendance more accessible, especially for those living in Columbia, South Carolina. The Columbia, South Carolina temple was announced on September 11, 1998. Ground was broken only 12 weeks later on December 8th. Shockingly, it was a record-breaking 80 degrees Fahrenheit that week. The average high is normally 61. More than 3,500 people attended the ceremony with umbrellas to shade themselves from the hot afternoon sun. During construction, members helped in any way they could. One stake hosted a youth conference near the temple grounds during which the youth participated in spreading mulch, fixing retaining walls, and building steps on the temple site. Other members and missionaries laid sod and planted bushes, flowers, and trees. After the completion of the temple, youth helped clean inside from the chandeliers to the oxen in the baptistry. My grandpa at the time was the general area, like 70 for the southeastern region. So he was actually in charge of the groundbreaking like ceremony for the temple. So basically like my whole mom's side of the family, great grandparents that have now passed on were there. So it's really hits home with my family, especially because he was the one that was like literally in charge of it and everyone was there. And prior to the South Carolina temple being built, the closest one for my family and for everybody in South Carolina was either Raleigh, so if um, up in North Carolina, so if you were up in like the northern part of the state, or the other closest one was Atlanta, Georgia. So that was the one that my family at that time was zoned for was Atlanta, Georgia. And that was about like a three, four-ish hour car drive. So it was kind of like a long time to get there. And I feel like a lot of people in Utah are like, oh, I just go to the temple. It's like 10 minutes down. No, especially back then. And even still today, it's like a day trip to go to the temple. And so that's where my parents got married in 96. And then the temple was dedicated later in 1999. This temple was dedicated on October 16, 1999, only a year and five weeks after the announcement. The open house hosted about 20,000 visitors. Governor James Hodges was unable to attend the temple open house because he was busy assessing the damage done by Hurricane Floyd. Michael Lefevre, who was the deputy chief of staff in South Carolina, attended in his place. Mr. Lefevre's daughter took piano lessons from a member of the church. He said that while he waited during her lessons, he would look at the picture of the temple in her piano teacher's home and notice the family's excitement grow as the dedication date approached. He never imagined he would get a VIP tour of the building. The temple is located in a beautiful neighborhood surrounded by mature trees. Surprisingly, there is no adjacent stake center. In fact, according to Google Maps, the next closest chapel is 13 minutes away. To the northwest of the temple quietly sits a forest, and to the southeast, you'll find a few homes that are all separated by large trees, creating lots of privacy. And then the other thing that I think makes the temple really beautiful, especially is the grounds of the temple and the surrounding like flora and fauna, I guess, of the temple. It's in this tiny little town called Hopkins, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere, (laughs) but it is kind of tucked away in like not close to any major like businesses or hotels or major roads or anything. So it's very quiet when you're back there and you can hear birds chirping in the springtime and see little squirrels, you know, crawling around because seriously, like probably about half of it is just woods. And there's a road, there's 
a store called Nephi's Books, which is basically like their Deseret book kind of type thing. And then you can kind of see it from one corner. There's like a baseball field or something. So there's a little park kind of close by too. So it's really nice to just go sit outside and and really enjoy nature because there's really nothing going on. There'll be a car that'll go by once every like three minutes, you know. And they do a really good job of keeping up the grounds of the temple. There's lots of, you know, native local flora of South Carolina, like magnolia trees. That's something that's really like classically Southern is magnolias and then other types of flowers. And then our state tree, which is depicted on our state flag is the palmetto tree. So there's palmetto trees that are around the temple too that are really cool. Before we continue, we would like to remind you that you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Temple Tours Pod. Be sure you're following us for a more visual version of each episode with pictures and videos. If you would like to support us via Patreon, you'll also receive more exclusive content like a weekly after the credits conversation with the host and more to come. That can all be found at patreon.com slash temple tours pod. We are so grateful for your support. I think it was only my second or third baptism trip that I had went on. So I was pretty new to the temple, still getting like familiar with how everything went. It was maybe just a couple months after my great grandma had passed away. So I was 12 at the time. She had just passed away. I was never, I guess, like super close to her just because she was always, you know, so old growing up and she had dementia kind of the majority of her life. And, um, but I was sitting in the, in the little pew waiting to go into the baptistry and I was just kind of looking around observing things and I could have sworn I saw my nana like sitting there was like a pew like across and I swore I saw her sitting right there and it freaked me out (laughs) and I was like oh my gosh and I'm crying right now (laughs) but it was like so crazy because it was just like from an early age that just really was a testimony builder to me that like families are forever and that I was doing something there in the temple that was going to mean a lot to somebody else and was going to help build their eternal family. So, man, I didn't think I'd cry. <laughs> but that was just really cool because I'd never, like, like seen someone who had, like, passed away before. So totally believe in it. I've seen it. And if you want to call me crazy, then call me crazy. But I saw it. <laughs> before we got married, I had flown out like in a week and a half or two weeks before my husband did because he had work commitments. So he only flew out like two days before we got married. And so I was out there like hanging out with family, kind of like, oh my gosh, this is my final hurrah before I'm like married off, you know, type thing. And the Saturday before we got married, so it was a week before we got married, my Mimi had made a commitment to go help clean the temple. And she was like, hey, do you want to tag along? I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing anything else. I'd love to come like clean the temple with you. So we get there and it happens to be the, I guess the ward that was in charge was the young single adults for the stake. And so it was a bunch of other people that were my age, which was cool. And so the woman who was coordinating it was like, hey, does anybody have something exciting or like important coming up in their lives? And I wasn't going to say anything, but my Mimi was like, she's getting married in this temple literally a week from you know today and I was like yeah lol um and she's like okay do you want to clean the celestial room and I was like 
okay. <laughs> I just thought I was going to be like scrubbing the baptistry or like the bathroom floors or something. But I guess they try to see if anybody is about to like go on a mission or just came home from a mission or getting married or doing something. And they offer the celestial cleaning the celestial room to that person. So I got to clean the entire celestial room and behind the veil all by myself, which was a very unique opportunity because I don't think most people ever find themselves alone, like completely alone. No temple workers, nobody. It was just me and my vacuum and my duster. (laughs) The Columbia, South Carolina temple also has the symbol of the circle in the square, which represents heaven and earth coming together in one place. Though this is a common symbol on Latter-day Saint temples, it is a special reminder to the saints in the Columbia Temple District that their sacred temple is where heaven and earth meet. Um, and then outside of the temple, on the temple itself, and then on the gate that surrounds the temple, you can find a square with a circle on the inside. And so that the circle particularly represents eternity. And so that's kind of like one of the, the cool symbolism that you can find around the temple. One thing that I've noticed inside the temple is a lot of artwork depicts people of color, which I think is really important because this is a temple that's in the southern United States. So that has a lot of like, you know, historically negative connotations, you know, with racial issues. So I I really appreciate that they were mindful of that and were able to incorporate um, Native American people. There's a depiction of a black woman in 18th century clothing right by the women's changing room. And so there's a lot of like, art that depicts people of color, which I think is really important and really special. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode about the Columbia, South Carolina Temple. Be sure to join us on Facebook and Instagram at Temple Tours Pod for pictures and more exclusive content throughout the week. We are so grateful to those of you who have submitted stories about your temple. Don't worry, your episode is coming. If you have a story that you would like to share about your temple, please email us at ldstempletours at gmail.com. Temple Tours is a production of Mecco Radio. Jerrica Dennison and Matt Wild hosted today's episode. Special thank you to Hannah for sharing her story with us. This episode was written and produced by Jerrica Dennison. And I, Alex Williams, edited this program. The music we use includes Where I Find Rest by Sun Wash, In the Clouds by Be Still the Earth, Wonderland by Mitro, Ray by Kevin Graham, Horizon by Cloud Cover, Intro by Miles Kredic, and After All This Time by Ben Winwood. A full list of sources and credits can be found in the show notes. And we should note, this is not an official podcast of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode. <laughs>